Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the B-Side for the Film Stage website. Here we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we are talking about Rosemary Clooney's favorite nephew, the late Miguel Ferrer's favorite cousin, Mr. George Clooney. As always, I'm joined by Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how's it been for you, my friend? Oh, it's been okay, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's the right answer. Yeah. That's the right tone. <laughs> I feel like that's that's that 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 tone pervades this whole year and that's okay. Um a bright spot will be this episode we're joined with an esteemed guest who goes by at Clooney Disciple on Twitter. Rob Shear, publicist extraordinaire. Rob, how are you, my friend? Uh I except for um every single thing that's happening in the world. I'm, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> that's well said. That's kind of got to be the caveat for, uh, for everything. Con- uh, Connor and I, we uh, took a, a little bit of a hiatus for the things in our personal lives, separate personal lives and, and um, they're bright spots for sure in the year. But, but um, it's weird to have highlights and when you feel like it's all lowlights. So sure. it's certainly a funny a funny year for for good things to happen in 2020 no doubt. Um okay. Now, we're talking about George Clooney and the four movies we're talking about just to lay them out as we uh do every episode. We're going to talk about uh Solaris, the remake from 2002 written and directed by Mr. Steven Soderbergh. We're going to talk about another Soderbergh movie, um the one and only the good German uh which is kind of Soderbergh's Casablanca, and we'll, I mean, for, for better and for worse, uh, and we'll get into that. <laughs> Leatherheads uh, from 08, which uh, Clooney dire- uh, directed himself. And it's it's not written by Clooney, but we'll talk about it. I didn't realize there was so much controversy about who wrote Leatherheads. Um, and then finally, The American from 2010, the Anton Corbin film uh, that I think got did the, I think got an F cinema score or like a D cinema score. It's one, one of those D minus. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's one of those movies um, and a movie that I personally love. I will say. And th- those are our four. Well, like always, we'll we'll bounce around to a couple others. I will say, just in preparing, I did rewatch The Men Who Stare at Goats and another movie that now I can't even think of. Uh, Monuments Men. Monuments, yeah, man. Thank yeah, you. you. And me, appropriately, yeah. I, I, I've since forgotten that I rewatched it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to open with a question. So we have this Slack channel. I feel like I've mentioned it before on the podcast. For the Film Stage show, our, our sister show, if you will, we have this Slack channel um, where like fans and Patreon subscribers and people can, can they have access to it and they can talk to us and whatever. And somebody posed an interesting question that I, I thought the answer was pretty obvious, but I, I'm, I'm going to ask Robin and Connor, you guys, because I'm curious. This question came up about is is or has has Carrie Mulligan ever been in the A-list? To which I my response was a lot of people were saying no, 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 no. A couple of people were saying yes. And my response was like very assured where I was like, oh, no, no, she was definitely A-list. 
and I, I I can in my definition of a list, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. That means right after an education, she gets nominated for the Oscar, and then it's like she's in Wall Street. Money never sleeps the next year, which even though it did not succeed, was like a very hot property, and I'm sure a very sought after role. And and then she's in a bunch of things all the way and up through 2015 Suffragette, which also did not do well, but was another one of those kind of very like, you know, Oscar-y movies where any big actress you would imagine is vying for the role and she got it. And then after that, she kind of pivots to TV, right? Other things. And maybe she's not in the A-list so much anymore, but I'm curious, like, does that make sense to you guys? Do you think I'm totally wrong in that? Like drive is in there as well. I feel like that's a good representation of kind of, what do you guys think? I'll let you go first, Rob. Um, I I don't think you're totally wrong. Uh, I do disagree with you. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess I associate the term A-list just in terms of sheer popularity, um, whether that is equated in box office interest, public interest, uh, people generally knowing who that person is, people being automatically invested in something that they're in. I think people who know a lot about uh, film and see a wide range of films uh, would probably come to the, uh, agree that she is one of the best actors of her generation. But I don't think, barring something like Wall Street, Mummy Never Sleeps, she hasn't seemed to make a lot of decisions that are predicated based on box office or clout. And as a result, I don't know that the public has ever really, like, I I don't know that most people are familiar. Yeah. 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 I would would agree. I think that's basically the correct Mm. answer. Like, I think, I think she's... I think she's an A-lister depending on how you define being an A-lister. And to your point, Dan, and your and your point, Rob, like I think if if we're talking prestige, then certainly, right? Like I think people who follow these kinds of things and who are interested in these kinds of things w- would consider her that. But um, I don't think she's ever carried a movie, financially speaking, uh, or from a from a marketing standpoint. I guess um, I guess the closest she ever got was playing Daisy in The Great Gatsby. R- Right. Right. And she's in 2012. And, 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 you know, she was sharing the screen of the biggest movie star in the world. So I don't know how. Much- no, I know. I guess that's where the difference. Right? I guess my thinking of it is like because in that conversation, somebody mentioned that's like saying Sam Worthington's A-list. And I was kind of like, well, by my he, definition, he was A-list for two years. Right. Like because he was he's in the biggest up, movie he was showing up in everything. He was leading. He things. was in Terminator Salvation. Sure. He was in the Clash of the Titans. And so like for that two year period. But see, Rob's shaking his head, so you, you, you disagree, and I get it. I under- That's a very interesting example, because um, even when he was in the biggest movie in the world, I think most Americans would be hard-pressed to say who, that, like who is, he is. Is Charlie Hunnam A-list? No. Uh, no. You don't think no. so? Like, no, I'm not I don't saying, think so. But like, yeah. I guess my point being, to your, like, is he not the same thing as like a Sam Worthington, though? Well, but Rob's saying Sam Worthington's not A-list. Right, okay. I mean, I look, look, look. There's that Billy Eichner segment. I mean, this is a different example where he's walking <laughs> yes, around New yes. York with Chris Pratt and like Chris Pratt, Hollywood reporter says he's the biggest star in the world or, or like, or, or this no, Chris, no, he didn't say Chris Pratt. He said, who, you know, this, they said he's the biggest star in the world. Who is this? <laughs> yeah. And no one could name who he was. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the truth, I mean, honestly, the truest truth is that the A-list as you guys are defining it really kind of is, is fading away in as much as like, in as much as that, right? Like Robert Downey Jr., 
where like every person in the world is like, oh yeah, Robert Downey Jr. I know who he is. Yeah. I don't know how much that's like Joey King is in the Kissing Booth movies. I, I mean, I barely know who she is, but it's like people who are half my age probably think of her like, I don't know, like Julia Roberts. And I, I mean, I, I have no, I have no, you know, I think the like, other part of that, yeah, the, the key part of that is the first thing you mentioned, which is like, I, at least in my mind, my gut answer to something being on the A-list is like, is that person a movie star? Like to me, those questions are almost synonymous kind of. Sure, sure. And, and that's not to say that someone like Carrie Mulligan isn't a movie star to a certain facet of viewers, right? Because there is a draw and a and a value add, obviously, from a from a uh, prestige standpoint and a talent standpoint. But like, yeah, but like, you know, you don't just put Carrie Mulligan's face alone on a movie yeah. poster and it sells yeah. a movie, right? It reminds me, I uh, I my sister's a teacher in the uh, in in the city in New York City, and um, I did like a, you know. Uh, what's it called? Career day. You know, I went for a day and um, I talked about my job and I'm a producer and I work with these people. And, you know, I tried to like show them commercials we had done and stuff like, you know, because you want to be engaged the kids. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I worked with Taylor Swift. And, you know, the, the you know, the, the class was like, oh, you know, they were like sure. reasonably excited. And then I was like, I worked with I, I met Tom Cruise. Nobody cared. Like all the kids were like. Who, who like yawn the old guy from I, mission impossible and then, movies and then i showed them this nintendo commercial we did with john cena and they all were very much they loved it like they knew john cena who you know he's, he's kind of made that crossover and is in in all these things and then like a girl raised her hand and was like have you worked with logan paul or jake paul and i was like i'm gonna die old and old. i was like I, these these kids are so uh, on another wavelength anyway um all right so i i will i will uh admit defeat in the sense of i think my definition of a-list is probably a little like insidery or something like that which i think is totally fine now george clooney definitely a-list. yes 100 uh, percent. yeah he, he's been i would argue if you want to include tv we'll do a quick primer on mr clooney so um george clooney is currently 59 years old and he's been in stuff forever he was in tv in one way or another since the late 70s and his first big break i think some people might know this but his first big break was in a show called er in the 80s that did not go anywhere but weirdly enough that was like his first big gig and then he worked in tv and he was like on the facts of life life for a minute he was on sisters Rose for like Man. a season Roseanne, thank you, right? And um, all these things. Sunset Beat? And then, right, Sunset Beat, he's a lead. Yeah. And it's like, they're like cops. He's who like moonlighting like, as a rock star. Yeah, yeah, they're like cops by day, Yeah, rock stars by night. Obviously, uh, you know, huge hit ran for many years. We all remember it. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, in 1994, he gets the role as Doug Ross in ER. And that is when you can maybe make the case he begins to become his his crawl up the A-list, right? He does stuff like From Dust Till Dawn in the beginning uh, as Seth Gecko, uh, Robert Rodriguez. Fun fact, that's a movie I hate. I've always said I hated. <laughs> but but I need to rewatch it because it's a well-loved 
movie by a lot of people, but but it's one where I always kind of I I'm, I'm always like I got to go back I, and I don't know. Try it again. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I yeah. thought about also because you know it's, as of this recording, it's October, right? It's Halloween time, so sure, I, I thought sure. about rewatching it uh, in light of this episode. I did not, um, but. I and I, I, always, I always remember his tattoo. I like the yeah, thing. The, like ne- neck the neck tattoo. tattoo. Yeah. I the thing I and I can never remember if where public opinion stands on this movie because I've always been in the camp of I like the first you know twenty minutes of it fine enough, and then of what? Uh, of, uh, from, from Dust Till Dawn, Dawn. and oh, then yeah, yeah. and then when it becomes a campy vampire movie, I'm kind of like yeah, all right. Is, and is I feel it that like, early? Is it that early in the movie when that happens? Maybe, maybe I not. I, I say that as in like I like the I like the part of it that's not a vampire movie. Right. Yet. I feel like it was pretty uh, evenly split, but I haven't yeah. seen it. In... And yeah, because uh, the they go to the bar, right, and then it becomes like the whole Selma Hayek is doing the dance, and I remember it pretty well because it's. I think yeah. it honestly, I think the reason I I remember not liking it is because it's it like freaked me out when I saw it. I was young, you know, sure. and I, I think kind of not unlike Natural Born Killers. I, I say I don't like it, but the truth is I saw it at way too young of an age and it really like disturbed me. So I'm always like, oh, if I went back, I wonder if I would really appreciate sure. it now. But I don't know. And I don't really have the inclination to to revisit it. But so Clooney, he's in those types of things. He's still on ER. And then his first kind of big shot, uh, I think maybe a one-two punch is he's in One Fine Day. With Michelle Pfeiffer, which I actually I love that movie. That's a lovely little uh, rom com, and then he's in the Peacemaker, which is the Mimi Leader movie, and I I think either right before the Peacemaker on the set of the Peacemaker, Steven Spielberg, I think it was on the set of ER. Steven Spielberg gave George Clooney advice, which Clooney has since kind of restated, which is. Spielberg told Clooney he moved his head too much as an actor, and if he could learn to be still. He would become a movie star. It was on ER. It was yeah. On the, yeah, it was on the set of ER, yeah. And I always love that note because if you watch ER, I, I watched it religiously with my mother growing up. It's kind of true. Like his his manic energy really does inform a lot of his early stuff. And he really does learn how to kind of apply it, you know, yeah. obviously, because he's in all these different things. and But not have it all the time. And I think you it's hey spielberg is spielberg for a reason i really think it comes through and anyway it's just an interesting note rob tell me where was your clooney like when did you kind of first i don't know watch george clooney you know and all that uh, uh to this day i've never seen an episode of er um, oh. is that true it's true. How um, big of a disciple can you be, Rob? The, um, well, the extent of my familiarity with him at the point while while ER was on the air was seeing him on the cover of magazines, specifically sure, Entertainment sure. Weekly, and when he did a crossover appearance on Friends, which I did watch. Um, oh, right. great! I, I love that, that yeah. episode. Him and him and him and Noah. Noah Wiley, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I did see From Dusk Till Dawn as a kid on VHS also. And sure. I, I weirdly was not disturbed by that movie. Like dark, <laughs> dark comedies was more the thing that disturbed me when I was a kid. I, there was something about like darkness or mean spiritedness mixed that that was supposed to be funny that really unsettled sure. me uh, as a child. Anyway, um, well, natural natural born killers would be a good example of that, right? Like just kind of that movie screwed yeah. me up. Yeah, as, as a kid. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Dude. From dusk till dawn, I was okay with that. Um, oh, that's funny. But uh, yeah, I liked it, but not sure he particularly popped for me there as, as a kid. Um, I saw the Peacemaker in theaters and don't think it made a huge impression on me batman and robin uh sure right. te- terrible but um I, I i thought he was fine in those movies but it really was 
out of sight, um, which I also right. saw on opening day uh, at a mall. Wow! So you were young. So that you were like a younger person and really on board the Clooney train. Feature feature films only. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, that that's made me. That's what really made me start to appreciate him and pay attention. I mean, I, I just I think he's wonderful in that movie to date. I still think it's one of his best performances. Um, oh sure. Yeah. That's a filmmaker. Soderbergh clearly knowing exactly how to utilize him, which has always been sort of like a tricky thing throughout his career. And um, then the next year was Three Kings. That was another huge movie for me uh, that I loved. Um, and that was that's what sort of it was really that one two punch of, of Out of Sight and and Three Kings that made me really start paying attention. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, yeah. Three Kings as a younger person was the one that really popped for me with Clooney. And I like and just as a movie, I remember, I mean, Three Kings is one of those movies where it formally uh for me was one where I was like, "Oh, you can make a movie that's like this where it was like, you know, acid tones and the comedy and the drama and you know, people die and it's sad, but you're also laughing at, you know, Ice Cube arguing about quarterbacks with Spike Jones and like all these things and like Mark Wahlberg singing the Beach Boys and, and all these kind of memorable things. And I remember I, I had a DVD. My parents like must have bought me. And my super, my conservative grandfather, God rest his soul, we were talking about something. I was like 12. And I was like, hey, have you, Grandpa, you should watch this movie Three Kings. I think you might think it's interesting. And I remember he like, he borrowed it and he watched it because he was a good guy. And he was always wanting to have that conversation. And he did not like that picture. <laughs> and I always remember that. Like, what was I thinking as a 12-year-old? Like, yeah, this is going to really turn this guy around. He's going to watch David or Russell's Three Kings and really be like, you know what? Clint was all right. It's okay. <laughs> um, and there's obviously, there's a lot of information out there about what was going on behind the scenes of oh that movie. Oh my god. Yeah. It was a very unpleasant hostile set with him and David O'Russell. They got in a they got in a fist fight allegedly, right? Yeah. 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 Not alleged not no, allegedly. Like confirmed. Yeah. They, okay. they both verified yeah. that and, yeah. and Russell, yeah. you know, didn't want him in the movie and was basically forced to cast him. Ultimately didn't I think they they didn't speak to each other for uh, towards the, oh, end yeah. the end of that shoot. It was post-its, but if you like if you watch that movie i think you can kind of see that tension and hostility oh, channeled yeah, sure. into that performance which really really works for it yeah oh he's i mean that's i would say and i guess people would probably disagree because out of sight you would say is like the sexiest Clooney ever got but uh, three kings he's I mean, he's yeah, almost a, i mean there's some sexy moments in three kings where you're he, very much like he's introduced in a sex scene there was right right with with nora dunn right right i think i think with nora dunn um and then for me and Connor, and I want you to, to say. Oh, oh no, it's not. Uh, is it? Isn't it? Is it, um, is it Judy it, Greer? It's Judy Greer. Yeah. Oh, it's Judy Greer. I'm yeah. sorry. Nora Dunn is is in the movie, yes. but not a yeah, different character. Um, yeah. uh, classic. Forgetting Judy Greer. I'm just part of the problem. You are over part here. of the problem. <laughs> um, no. So, and then the other one I just wanted to say because it's a little bit like people forget about it, but the other one in truth is the Perfect Storm. I loved the Perfect Storm. Yeah. I remember I saw it in theaters. The Mark Wahlberg, George Clooney twofer. I was a, I was in. I was in on Captain Billy Tyne, the beard, talking to was it uh, Mary Stewart Mastrantonio? Mary about Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Oh, God, you're just Mary you're Stewart all over the map. Mary, Mary Stewart Mastrantonio. Uh, sorry, <laughs> for, but, first time anyone's made that mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, those two movies were the big ones for me with Clooney, and the, and then obviously ER, of course. Uh, just just uh, you know, right after Friends, dude. ER. Um, Connor, what about you? I I guess ER because I, I 
I've watched episodes of ER, but I never watched it like religiously or whatever. I feel like like a lot of people maybe who didn't watch it, you just you caught it peripherally because it was on after Friends or whatever. Um, yeah. And then um, I movie wise, I feel like One Fine Day was actually the first time I remember like watching a movie of his. Uh, my sister and I rented it on pay-per-view and that was like sort of a nice watch because I had a big crush on Michelle Pfeiffer um, and she had a sure. big crush on George Clooney. So it was just like a nice thing. Natalie, um, a Natalie, Natalie Merchant's version of One Fine Day. Oh, right. Very right. 90s. Yep. Low, low five. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that might have been the first one. And then. Yeah, like I feel like I didn't see a movie of his in theaters until batman and robin sure um and then i think i which i think i've mentioned on this podcast was like one of my first times as a kid recognizing a movie as bad while i'm watching it kind of thing where you're like you're just sitting there and you're like ooh, this is just yikes right um which was uh which is just strange experience and then um yeah i have a soft spot for the peacemaker as well that was a pay-per-view rental um, it's not a particularly great movie, but, uh, you know, I'm sure if we talk about Nicole Kidman one day, we'll do a, we'll sure. cover the peacemaker. Is the peacemaker the first DreamWorks movie? Yes. It yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, if you read, uh, if you read that book, uh, which I can't think Man of, who it's would the be DreamWorks book, the men who would be king. Yeah. yeah. They really talk about how it's, it's such a weird first for DreamWorks because it's so anonymous. Like, you know, just the fact that right after that would be the movies that would kind of define DreamWorks where you have your American Beauty, right? Gladiator, which is a co-production, but, and then Road to Perdition all kind of being, you know, I don't know, the movies you would expect from that quote unquote powerhouse. Sure. The, the fact that the Peacemaker is the first one. And like, even though its performance was like modest, it did okay. You know, like yeah, it, yeah. it was like nothing about it is, you know. Um, Particularly it's special. Very, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's but, a, um, it's a whatever. Now, movie. what's funny is, this okay, so it's our first movie is Solaris, and it's interesting. It's an interesting movie to start on because it was such a debacle, right? When you talk about cinema scores, it's actually funny. So two of the four have really bad cinema scores. I think. I think two of the four, I think, are very, are similar in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so, and the the Solaris, and the, we mentioned earlier, the American got the D minus. So Solaris, um, John Lando produced, uh, James Cameron produced. He wanted to make it for a long time. It's obviously, it's kind of a remake of the Tarkovsky movie. It's really more of another adaptation of the Stanislav Lem book. Um, I will just say, as I introduce this. This is one of my favorite properties. Like I so I love the Soderbergh movie, I love the Tarkovsky movie, and I love the book. I they're all I think they're all masterpieces, right? Um I in all totally different ways. And and Stanislav Lem hates both versions, right? So that's funny in its own right. Um the Tarkovsky version is double the length of the Soderbergh yeah. version, right? Um there's a lot before they go to space, obviously. The Soderbergh version they're just basically in space the whole time with a few flashbacks. The premise, if you don't know, Solaris is George Clooney plays Chris Kelvin, who is a psychiatrist who is summoned to a spacecraft that's orbiting the this planet or this moon, Solaris, and his friend is on there with a crew, and they've kind of been out of contact and. 
people on the ground feel the fear the worst. They send Chris Kelvin to basically investigate. And when he gets there, he realizes the majority of the crew is dead. And those who aren't dead are living in kind of mortal fear of essentially what you learn is people, incarnations of emotions and people in each person's life basically are manifested as real on this spaceship. So for Chris Kelvin's friend who has since died, it was his little, his younger son. And for Chris Kelvin, George Clooney's character, it's his deceased wife, who's played by Natasha McElhone in the movie. And and that, and it's basically Chris Kelvin reckoning with, is this person real? No, she's not real. It's obviously an alien of some sort, but what does that mean? You know, it's 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 a treatise on grief and how do we handle grief? Viol Davis, young Viol Davis, giving a really good performance in it as really one of the only other actors in the movie. And uh, Jeremy Davies going full Jeremy Davies, which I, <laughs> I do appreciate. Um, that was really the pocket. That was in the pocket of Davies. That sure. was really yeah. post Saving Private Ryan. Rob, what do you? And the ahead. pocket of uh, Natasha McElhone, if that's a oh, yeah. last name. Also, that's... I mean, she had, she had quite a little run there in for like in big studio Hollywood movies, and this is kind of the end of that, right? Because yeah, it was Truman, like Truman Show, and then the Devil's Laurel Own, Ke- Ronin, Ronin, oh, right? The Devil's yeah. Own, yeah. The, the Devil's Own, and Ronin, where she basically plays a version of the same character, which I always kind of appreciate. Here, like, here's that. the thing, though, she was great. What yeah. happened to her? She was. Well, she, she's California, been working, just not Ca- not in Calif- not in big movies like that anymore. Yeah, yeah Californication was a solid seven season. Right, I guess, yeah, check. she had that long yeah. run. Right. Um. So okay. So like I said, I love this movie. So I'm not going to kind of wax poetic on it for too long. The things I love about it, in comparison to the other two adaptations, and I think there actually was a TV movie as well, which I have not seen of Solaris. But anyway, um. I like how focused this version is. I like how short it is. I like how it's about the part of the narrative that I always responded to the most, which was this idea of what do we carry with ourselves? And like Lem and then Soderbergh making that a real tangible thing and having it be something you have to like deal with face to face. And I think Miguel Hun is great. And I think... Clooney's giving a really interesting performance, though I think a lot of people would disagree and say it's actually the opposite of interesting and like vacant and all these things, uh, which, you know, we can talk about. But that's it. I mean, the movie really sticks with me. I've seen it many times. Rewatching it again was a treat. Um, I love all the visual effects, which, you know, that, that was, I think, the one positive thing people could say about it when it came out. And um, anyway, what did you guys, what do you guys think about this movie? And I guess the other versions, if you've seen them. Um, Connor, Connor, you go ahead. Yeah, I, I always liked the original. Um, I, you know, I think I saw the original for the first time in film school, and you know, you you like it in the same way you like other movies you see at the time, whether that's two thousand one or, um, or, you know, eight and a half, or, whatever. or even like I'm trying to think of. You know, I feel like I maybe even I've done this on the show before. I can't recall, but like I feel like if I compare filmmakers, someone like. In a Tarkovsky analog, I always go to Terrence Malick. I feel like they're very similar. Malick is like the he's like the optimistic Tarkovsky, um, but well, like the the Catholic Tarkovsky. Yeah, well, and just the but you know, and in the way that they shoot things, and the way that they draw their yeah. narratives out, and that kind of thing. And uh, so, I don't particularly have anything. 
I have no problem with that kind of filmmaking uh, when it's done well. And obviously Tarkovsky is one of the best to ever do it in that regard. But to your point, Dan, I, I love what a perfect distillation Soderbergh's version is. He takes, he takes all of just the core elements that are at play and, and, distills you know th- distills it down i have never read the book so i as i was watching i was only really comparing to to tarkovsky's take but but that there are moments in the tarkovsky version uh where the characters take the time to just you know they they wax poetic about you know being human and what that means politically and what that mean and there there are these long conversations uh in particular there's this there's this uh sort of birthday party of sorts that's had uh in the original and uh for what i believe is the analog to the viola davis character um and they take the time to kind of really to have all the conversations that that maybe soderbergh wants you to have like after the movie kind of thing yeah yeah, um and 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 they're all in the tarkovsky one right which which has its own value but i just i really liked uh soderbergh's ability to really just bare bones the the entire narrative and i don't know you know like i don't know if clooney's the right dude for this i'm kind of glad it's him because i I think no, it was it was supposed to be Daniel Day Lewis, which makes way more sense, right? It made like that to me feels more correct if you're in the process of like creating this thing and developing it and casting it. Sure, um, and I don't, and maybe like whatever, I you know, not to sliding doors it or whatever. Like maybe it's a better movie. I have you know, I have no idea, but uh, I I love this movie just the way it is, and I think part of it is because of the curio of the Clooney performance. Like I don't know. Maybe other than the American, we'll, we'll, which we'll get to. Like, I don't know how many other performances like this he has actually given. Um, yeah, the American is obviously a close. I mean, we'll talk about it. Yeah, but yeah that's a it, close. Yeah. It, but it, I, I kind of like him um, in this mode. And and again, maybe I only feel that way because it's because it's the outlier, right? Like, who knows if he, mm. if he had given a dozen of these perform- kinds of performances, maybe he's just a boring leading man or whatever. Um, but to watch it, Hollywood would have never let him after this movie. <laughs> never. Well, this is, so I'm, I, I do want to bring this up here and it'll, uh, uh and Rob, I, I want to know your thoughts, but I do want to want to plant this seed real quick before I forget. I was thinking about this. I watched all of these in chronological order and did we make him carry Grant? Like, did like, is that actually well, yeah, the never... actor he is? And, or, or, or you know, like, is this no. right? Is Solaris or is one fine day um, or, you know, anything that came before, is that actually the actor he is? And then us kind of looking at him because he obviously has the look that you can't deny, but like us looking at him and then seeing say, Oh brother, where art thou? Were we just like, Oh, he is Cary Grant. And then he was like, okay, I guess I'm Cary Grant. Right. And like, and he never necessarily like said that about himself, but he has admitted to the comparisons and all that. And what do you think? I, well, I'll, ahead, I'll hand it off to you maybe to answer the start to answer that question, Rob. And I, I do want to know your thoughts on the movie as well. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I do agree with, Everything that you guys are saying, I love this movie. Uh, I think it's one of Soderbergh's best films. Uh, I love Clooney in it. Um, I don't know that there is necessarily the most on the page for him to really be doing in this movie, but I think he brings so much to it. But in terms of the the Cary Grant of it all, um, 
I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't think anyone, or, well, I don't think anyone would really call him uh, like a character actor or a chameleon. Uh, like yeah. he's he's an actor for the most part. Who, whether it's just him knowing his quote unquote limitations or just choosing to work in that register, most of his roles are kind of him playing different facets of what I think his public persona really is, sort of an old fashioned movie star. Um, and I think he's given like some very strong and you know, really fantastic performances in that register. Um, but his best performances are in movies where directors really know how to utilize him. And really, it's really just the Coen Brothers movies, I would say, where he really steps outside of that, um, where he sort of has this like madcap comic energy and like, oh, brother, where art thou? Intolerable cruelty, burn after reading mm-hmm. Hail Caesar. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of it in like, Welcome to Collinwood and Weatherheads to a degree. Well, yeah, yeah and I was yeah. going to say the times, and to your point, Rob, the times where it's not the Coen brothers, it does not work as well because the men who stare at goats is literally, that's like a Coen brothers movie, except it's just the beats just do. And that's, you know, Grant Heslov directed that, who is, um, you know, Clooney's like creative partner and everything. Partner, yeah. yeah. So like you get it, but it's just, it's a miss in terms of just utilizing, you know, whatever that is. So you're, you're totally right in that. But, yeah. at the, but at the same time, and I think, you know, I, I have a range of feelings about all four of these movies, uh, but right. even the best one and the worst one, what I think you can say about all of them is, or from my perspective is they, none of them are really the most interesting of characters on the page and it's sort of his effortless charisma and you know just how fun it is to watch him as an actor that really like tapes like pieces together like like makes it a more compelling experience because of what he's bringing to it just by his presence and that that's i think what often leads to those Cary grant comparisons yeah no i think that's i think that's a hundred percent correct and i think particularly while we're still on Solaris, like one of the things that makes that like this movie is uh, in a lot of various ways, it, it's it's warmer, right, than the than the Tarkovsky counterpart, and um, a little more vulnerable. And I that's interesting. Yeah, and I think um, and I think that part of that is how expressive Clooney is with his face. Right. And that's like, I mean, it's his for, for obviously a multitude of reasons, his face is maybe his best asset, uh, whether it's like a Cary Grant esque eye roll or like a, just a sad semi vacant puppy dog gaze into the camera. Um, it's the thing that makes him effortlessly likable. Like, even if you go to like a, you know, even if you go to like an out of sight, right? Um, I recently rewatched that, and it's it's an interesting rewatch uh, because you you know they're in the trunk of this car, and you're like, how the hell does she fall in love with this guy? Like this movie's creepy and wrong and a little weird, right? And there's that movie should be like endlessly problematic in a lot of ways, and maybe again, maybe on the page it it technically is, but like it just works so well and like part of that is that it's just it's not that this dude is some sort of affable bank robber it's that he's an affable bank robber who's george clooney and like it he just he makes some form of smarminess work the same way with solaris he makes some form of somebody who might be otherwise emotionally detached you can still see this like 
this just deep seated uh, regret and angst and sadness like wear on him. And it's stuff that I think he doesn't necessarily pull out of his toolbox again until a little later in his career, like a decade, roughly a decade later, you know, like I think it's what makes his performance in the descendants. so great. Right. Um, sure. Is that despite how goofy and charming this dude can be, he is also, you know, incredibly sad and to see him, um, to see him play a little, maybe a little more detached or a little colder I, you know, I didn't see this movie at the time when it came out, so I can't necessarily speak to how it felt at the time of like, ooh, what is this George Clooney dude doing? But it's the same way I watch, to, to, to make the Cary Grant comparison, it's the way I watch a movie like Notorious, where Cary Grant is this whole, he is the, it's like a very anti-Cary Grant role, and it's a lot of fun to watch him do, because it's just, it's such an outlier. Um, he's just, he kind of, he just nails it. Dan, did you see this movie in theaters? No, I mean, I remember... Did you? Yes. Rob? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so you were one of the four people who saw it. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw it opening night. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you remember Like, what the reaction was? Yes. I mean, just contextualizing this movie and where where it landed in Clooney and Soderbergh's career and what the audience response to it is just kind of oh like an amazing God. narrative yeah. in and of itself. I mean, like Soderbergh is coming off a pretty insane run at this point. Like yeah. his, oh, he his comeback is like out of sight yeah. in 98. Then uh, the Limey 99, 2000 traffic and Aaron Brockovich, both huge hits, both get nominated, nominated for best picture. For both. He wins yeah. best yeah. director. Um, yeah. The next year, uh, Ocean's 11 with Clooney, huge hit. At this point, he's like, on top of Hollywood, like majorly in demand, can do whatever he wants. 2002, he makes Full Frontal and Solaris. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Full Frontal. He was <laughs> Which just I like, also saw. <laughs> oh my oh, god, he yikes. he was like, okay, I'm gonna cash it all in yeah. right now. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. Uh, Full Frontal is by far the most number of walkouts I've ever uh, seen oh at like a, a public showing of a movie. Um, and Solaris probably just below that. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, like we. I think we mentioned like Solaris got an F cinema score, which yep. rewatching it is like, I, I get that it's not a, you know, mainstream accessible Hollywood movie and they wildly mismarketed it, but an F seems kind of insane. I would have thought there would yeah, have been like some 80, people who, you know, balance yeah, that score out. Yeah. I was going to say, you'd think like it's pretty George Clooney, you see his butt, it's 85 minutes. Like how an F seems well, the, crazy. I but. think the runtime does, and this this again is the adaptation thing and something that I think Soderbergh locks into as a director in terms of that distillation. I I will say the runtime does help this movie considerably. Totally. Right. Well, because so, it's yeah. it's allowed yeah. to be slow and languid and and it does feel that way, but at least by the time it's over, it's only been eighty five minutes or whatever, right? It's yeah. I mean, I, I loved it in two thousand two, but just I haven't seen it in 18 years and i just over that period i just the narrative has gotten embroiled into my head just like people people hate this movie it's incredibly boring it's incredibly slow and i watch it and i was like i how did i forget that this movie is like 20 minutes long like it just like flies yeah. by yeah. what's funny is so the original got a lot of criticism for being too long and akira kurosawa who was friends with tarkovsky was one of the people who convinced tarkovsky to keep the opening in the movie which if you remember the the tarkovsky version the first half he's like in his summer home and it's like beautiful green yeah there's like nature. a solid there's like a solid 35 minutes at least uh, and, but yeah. yeah but and connor when you said that 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 the soderbergh movie is warmer 
I kind of push back a little bit in the sense that I always feel like the Tarkovsky version, there is a warmness to it because you get, and this is what uh, Kurosawa said, you get like nature and earth and warmth, sure. right? And sure. then when he goes to space and it's cold and lonely and vacant, it really does you feel it even more. So like, I feel, I feel the argument worth why maybe the Tarkovsky version is better, which I don't really agree with, but would be that you have that dichotomy where in this one, he's just basically in space. And even this stuff on earth, obviously it's designed to remain cold. Like there's, you're never going to get a moment of, of green. And, but what I like is, and we can move on uh, in a minute here, but another thing I like about Soderbergh's Solaris is it feels like, it feels like grief as a narrative, right? Like it feels like we are with Chris Kelvin in his grief and no matter how far away he travels, it will always be with him. And that's the point of the movie, trauma and regret. It lives with you. And like whatever that form that's manifested, there it will always be. And I think like that's where you get into the Clooney stillness when he employs it. And in the American is similar in that way. It can be heartbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. To watch him just kind of and like you know that every decision he makes like Soderbergh never presumes presumes you think he's going to do another thing which I feel like is another difference between the original and this one it's like there is, should be no surprise with how this movie goes right even the end there, there's like a, a the, the twist ending yeah, you, know, yeah. I, you see that coming from a while yeah. away it's like that's not you know there is I will say the the way both movies present the sequence and I don't know if the, I mean, it's early in the movie, so I don't know if this is really a spoiler, but he's given this manifestation of his wife in both versions of the movie. And the first thing he does <laughs> is shoot put, her, yeah, put her in a pod yeah. and shoot her into space. Right? Gotta do it. Um, Gotta do it. And I do think this version of the movie, and this is, I guess, what I meant by warmer. I think this mm. version of the movie is a little more emo outwardly on the screen, emotionally attached. And, yeah, yeah. And so that. you kind of know that going into this moment. And so in this version of the movie, it's just, it, it, I feel like it registers way more because in the Tarkovsky version, he, uh, he, puts her in the pod and sends it into space. And it's, you never really see her reaction to it when it's happening. And Soderbergh directs it differently in a way that you see this guy who you would presume would sort of fall right into the trap of, of, you know, of being like, Oh yeah, this is my wife. Okay. And I'm just going to live in this delusion or whatever. And he makes the decision to like, no, I'm going to put you in a pod and I'm going to shoot you out into space. And the way it's shot is when those doors shut, uh, his wife turns around and you see this look on her face of like, whoa, what are you doing? And she like knows that she's in danger, which is something you don't necessarily get in the Tarkovsky movie. And it, and then his reaction to it as that's happening is like equally kind of as heartbreaking. And you have, yeah. I do want to shout out quickly before we move on. The Cliff Martinez score to this movie is oh, yeah. fucking is amazing. Uh, I'll put a little bit of it right here for you to listen to.
and and it's it, all of that together just sells that moment. Um, but I do agree with you generally, Dan. I think out, outside of that moment, which even though I knew it was happening because I'd seen the other version of the movie, uh, I just when you're watching it happen, you're like, oh shit! Like he's just he's just very coldly gonna go ahead and 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 kill this thing, right? Um, um, movie movie that I saw in a public forum that had the most walkouts, it, weirdly similar in a way, was The Fountain. I they're very drove, si- they're very similar movies. I drove 45 minutes, you know, with like a high school girlfriend to go see it, or college, whatever, and um and and it was like, it was like 16 people in a theater. And when we left, I swear to God, we were the only two people in the theater. I, it was, it was crazy. Like just pure percentage. I, I've seen more people walk out of movies like in quantity, but in terms of like percentage of an audience where it was like literally all but us. I remember just being like, wow, they did not like that one, huh? I, um, I feel like they were similar. <laughs> I feel like the movies were similarly marketed actually kind of, um, because like, ah, and, and, and I feel like but, the, the movies are, the both movies are sort of victims of that same thing of like, I, I, I guess that's what I mean is that I think they were pitched as one thing. And then you go and you see a different yeah. thing that maybe you're not the expecting. Fa- the the found at least has some sort of, catharsis at the end of sure, that yeah, sure. film though like yeah, i feel like you yeah. can't really overstate the in, the outright rejection of solaris sure, by yeah, sure, like, sure, not just that sure. cinema score like have you looked at the box office for this movie oh, it's, oh yeah oh it's, it is biblically it's, bad yeah. it opened yeah. over thanksgiving weekend it made 9.5 million dollars over that five day weekend Oof. so it made like 9.5 million dollars in its first five days and then never hit 15 yeah, like yeah. it plummeted and how like, much did it cost it costs 48 50 yeah 47 50 yeah like and it's just i mean and look in the fountain it had a similar thing where but that really got more dumped um by the time they made it it only cost 30 because you know aronofsky had to do all these different things and da 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 and um but yeah you're right like the debacle that solaris was in terms of to your point uh rob we're like it's everybody like James Cameron's producing it. Like it's yeah. like every everybody involved. It's like just and then and then the fact that everybody was like no thanks yeah. is just a crazy thing. And the fact that it is such a good movie. Um, now similarly in reception, I suppose kind of is the good German. Yeah. Except this was a little bit less of a debacle and more of a, I guess a yawn, right? Because because. So this is the Good German. It's it's oh six. The thing I remember about the Good German, it was the year when the good movies nobody cared about. <laughs> nobody yeah. cared about the good yeah. movies. Now yeah, the Good German and the Good Shepherd. Now the Good Shepherd we've talked about on this podcast. The Good Shepherd I think is a masterpiece. I love the Good Shepherd. I love 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 the Good Shepherd. I think it's like De Niro making his CIA Godfather movie and and whatever. I could go on for a million years about that. I won't. So I really like the Good Shepherd. The Good German. A uh, flawed comes to mind. Um, <laughs> I'll let who wants to tell us what the good German's about. Rob, would you like to tell us about it? If, if you don't need to, I'll you don't do, need I'll to. do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, you you want to go for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So the good German. There's a German is, who he's good. Yeah, but doesn't show up on screen for a while. Actually, the titular good German uh, doesn't pop onto the screen well, for a minute. Well, isn't. I mean, we'll get to it. Hang on, hang on. She, I think she's the good German, isn't it? Right. Anyway, no, go ahead. I, 
I mean, spoilers, whatever. Uh, right, I think the whole right, point right, is she's right. not. But um, well, that's the point of the title. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so uh, the good German is set in sort of immediately. I don't know if they do. They give you a year. It's immediately post World War II. Well, Berlin. it's like days before the Potsdam. Is it not there in 1945 at some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, I guess it must, right, it must have been because it's the end of the war, right? Yeah. Sorry, history and all that. Um. So and it's yeah, as Dan said, it's sort of the big yeah, sort because, of central. Sorry, sorry, just it's but it's after after the war has ended in Europe and has not ended in Asia. Right, correct. Because yes, right, right. yes, That's, yes. So it's the summer and of forty five. That actually comes back as a little bit of a button on the movie, but yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah. right. But yeah, so it's it's sort of the the central thing in the movie is the as Dan mentioned. The Potsdam Conference, um, where Stalin and Churchill and Truman all got together to basically figure out, you know, how everyone was going to make peace and, and basically literally, div- they literally divvy, divided up, yeah, divvy up what yeah. was left, yeah. right, yeah. Um, of, of Berlin and Germany and all that. So basically, Clooney plays a... Uh, a journalist, a bad journalist. Uh, yeah, named, not. I mean, named, you, you never actually a journalist. No, right, right, right. right. He so he even um, he even actually. I watched an interview, a quick like little YouTube interview from when this movie came out, and the person, uh, I think it was from Associated Press, who was interviewing him, asked him about that. Like, basically, asked him about like, oh, you know, you've made a movie now, and now you're in this movie where you're, you know, you're a newsman, and your dad was a newsman. Is that something you could have done as another? career and he like makes a joke about how jake eisenberg is a bad journalist (laughs) like he uh, yeah but anyway he goes to uh he goes to berlin under the guise of uh covering the potsdam conference uh when in reality he is essentially just trying to hopefully run into and reconnect with uh kate blanchett who is a sort of long lost love uh, named lena brant she is uh she is a prostitute who is uh basically hooked up with a guy named tully who's played by tobin wire who is making some choices and um, true, tr- true truly a performance that like i for like rewatching it i was like oh Right. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, it's, yeah, it's, I have some, that's, that's I have, this performance. I have some opinions like, yeah. about this character in particular, but we'll get to yeah. it in a second. So, anyway, yeah. as things go on, uh, basically, it it is realized that Lena's husband, Emil, has some connection to uh, Franz Bettmann, who developed uh, the V2 rocket for Germany. And it then becomes this sort of back channeling thing with uh, with the Russians and the U.S. to basically try who are who are both after Batman, right? For for the purposes of continuing to develop rockets for either the Russians or or the Americans, and um, and that is essentially that sort of thing of where Lena's allegiances lie how they can find and get a hold of Batman. That's like at the core of the narrative of the movie. That's basically the plot as Clooney slowly, but surely realizes that he's in over his, in over his head, given who in the very US. slowly, yeah, very, very slowly, slowly. And it's, it's weird. Cause it's, 
it's a it you know and, and look a lot of film noirs do this right where the person who is the detective is not actually a detective they're just someone else who's in a situation or whatever and they wind up kind of doing gumshoe work but he's like he's not a good journalist and he's like a bad detective right so it's like it just he very slowly works his way through figuring out who's involved why they're involved and as it goes on you realize that Lena's connection to the whole thing is a little bit more direct and potentially more nefarious. Uh, and, and she has some skeletons in her closet that are kind of lingering. Um, so that's the basic landscape of the movie. Is it's there interesting anything? that we're leading with the, the narrative, because I feel like the narrative is almost kind of besides the point of well, this movie well, and not why it was made. No, no, no. I, I think that is. Oh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think I think. And as you can see, I sort of struggled my way through it because it is a little it is well, it is convoluted would yeah. be a word um and and cool and so this is it's based on a novel by joseph cannon and and i i was trying to find the the article i think it was entertainment weekly where clooney i remember had a quote where he was talking about like movies he had made and he said about the good german and i will try to find this and link to it in the article he said to i think an ew reporter he was like yeah, like me and Steven thought we hit it out of the park with the good German and then it came out. Nobody saw it. Nobody liked it. And I always remember that quote and thinking like, wow, yeah, like this is a great example of like, I get 100% how everybody involved was like, okay, let's try it. Let's try to do this. Like, let's try to like make Casablanca, but do it like with Germany year zero in with you know with like let's make it what with the real darkness you know what i mean like in there and 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 then but then they make it and it's like none of it comes through and it's it's, convoluted and anyway rob i'll let you kind of talk to you because i I feel like that's where uh, you want to go yeah i mean i think the elevator pitch on this movie is what if casablanca was bad Um, (laughs) like (laughs) uh I, i think you just really need to look at the release for this movie and it's sort of uh, and how it was handled and it sort of tells the tale i mean yeah sure considering the cast the director where they were at in their careers you know Soder's pre- soderbergh's previous film was bubble but for like him and clooney this falls right in between oceans 12 and 13 toby mcguire's in between spider-man 2 and 3 uh blanchett won the oscar the year before this um mm. it got an awards season december release date by warner brothers oh yeah and its widest expansion was 66 screens. Like, yeah, it made the, it made six million dollars. I, I think domestically less. Much I think it was like one, like one point oh, three really? was oh, like yeah, its so dom- domestic gross. That might, that might be worldwide. I'll, sorry, keep going. And yeah, I'll the look studio it up. clearly like knew what they had and did not want to waste further money on it. Like regardless of the content, you would think a movie with this pedigree could just be put in a couple thousand theaters and make like oh, a my quick God, burst you're of money. Right. You're right. One point three domestic. Oof. Yeah. Four four point six. I mean, I can say I I, I wasn't there. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. like I I saw this. Um, I bought this movie actually sight unseen on DVD. Right. Um, when it yeah. came out, and at the time, I I don't know. I mean, my feeling on this. I do. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 I was just gonna say my feeling on this movie is that like I don't. I actually don't know if I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I would only recommend it sort of for certain reasons, kind of, because like, I think one of the most fascinating things about like Steve, Steven Soderbergh is a filmmaker's filmmaker, right? So like he will make whole movies just to experiment with a thing, right? And sometimes those experiments. 
yeah, full frontal. Yeah. We t- talked about like full frontal is like, what if I made a lot of bad things and I put them in a movie and like the, <laughs> the, 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 the kitsch, but the joke, the joke was that. And then like people go to see it and it's like, no, this is bad, right? And they, <laughs> I like Rob, the frontal. Like, I like okay, the frontal. Okay, okay. I was gonna say I <laughs> but, saw Rob's face. But I think they're in the same camp, right? You have he made like like Schizopolis, which I love, mm-hmm. is basically another version of that where he's like, What if I like Well and sometimes it a, works, yeah. right? Like like yeah. un- unsane and high flying bird are like that, right? And those are both very good, right? And well, like like a good example of where I don't think it works is like Kafka, right? Sure. Is him being like, what if I made a movie about Franz Kafka and I made it like it was a Kafka story? Great idea, like to- a great idea. And then you watch it and you're like, yeah, but there's no energy here, right? There's no and Good German is similar yeah. in that where it's like there's a spark that's lacking. Yeah, it just it of, never of it. it never the the mystery. And this is actually sort of what I think is the the worst, or I should say at least like the most disappointing part about this movie, other than the pedigree, you know, the quality of the movie, given the pedigree of the people involved. But like the most disappointing thing to me is like when you see the all the historical things kind of gel together, I'm like, that's cool. Like this is a cool you know, it's a cool context probably for a, a great f- book. Yeah, but it probably, probably is. Book. Right. And like, you know, you, you read about, you know, ultimately this movie becomes about, you know, maybe certain concentration camps that you might not have read about in history class, like Camp Dora uh, or things like that. And it and it's so it's this weird, interesting place in history that I think is fascinating. And it's a good it's a perfect uh it's a perfect setting for that elevator pitch of maybe not what if Casablanca, but bad, but like, what if Casablanca, but like not romantic, right? Like what if Casablanca, yeah, well that's, that's yeah, like what, what if is. Casablanca, yeah. but we, but we made you realize that like, there are no idealists and like at the end of it, everybody is in it just to get ahead. Well, right. Like, and look, Paul, Paul Adonazio wrote the screenplay and he basically does this with quiz show, which is a great movie, right? Quiz show is a similar type of like, let's take this very American thing. Let's deconstruct it within a Hollywood construct and, and let's entertain you in the process. And I think quiz show, even though that was actually a bomb too, but was well, was well, you know, critically received and got a lot of nominations. Quiz show is an example of I think that working, and the Good German is an example of just that getting lost. Like if if the Good German is about if it's a noir about a murder on the eve of the Potsdam conference, and and that murder reveals essentially the beginning of the Cold War, that's interesting. All the other stuff, it's just like other movies. Like I can't yeah. believe. There's not a line in this movie. I like killed me that nobody said forget it, Jake. It's Berlin. Right. <laughs> like, how do they not say that? Like, you're going all yeah. the way down well, the line. Well, you know, you there. can you you should you can never leave Berlin. You, you can well, that's the com- com- right yeah, combined never, with combined you with you never really you, leave. You Berlin. should you should have left Berlin. Like, there's like a there are like and three then, like, versions agree- of that line. Like, I forgot the egregiousness, and this is fine, I suppose. But like the the way they end the movie, like they really, they really push to get to that airfield. I'm like, what? Like you yeah. did not have to put to really, really need that Casablanca ending. And I was yeah. like, oh, I forgot they really went all. Oh, they went full uh, beautiful it, friendship at the end of this. Yeah, like, it's a shame because I, I do think like this movie's not the sum of its parts, but I do think there are moments for me that are interesting. Um, and that's, that's sort of the worst part. Like, sure. again, when I say the filmmakers filmmaker thing, like I, I think 
uh, Soderbergh shoots the shit out of this movie. I think it's I think he does a very good job of like it again really impressive filmmaking yeah no and he's he's doing a thing right it's not like he's he's not just saying this is the you know proper uh composition or anything like he is very much like how do i make this look as much like uh a michael curtiz movie or a william wiley you know he's like he's you know or or orson welles movie right like he's clearly curbing from a lot of things but he's aping them really well and and in a way that for the most part, they still feel like they belong to this movie. And it's that stuff is cool to me. And I, I would say I would recommend this movie on that basis, right? Like if you want to put this movie on in the background and kind of just sort of at least loosely aesthetically appreciate it, the Thomas Newman score is also very good. Like yeah, the theme is good. The The score is great. If you can, if you can go in kind of already knowing, I think the style over substance that's on display with this movie, it's a little bit, I think a little bit more enjoyable, but it is just really unfortunate because everybody involved is, you know, is great and, and it should be great. Yeah. I mean, it, like you're saying, it's, it's all these interesting ideas, like this utilization of like classical Hollywood styles and like the wide angle lenses and you know the the audio is like recorded with boom mics and you know it wasn't filmed in black and white but they whatever they make it look like like an old time movie and using this style in service of like a bleak like almost like paranoid thriller rather than like sure like film noir like that's all interesting on paper it just it feels more like just a cool experiment that an ambitious filmmaker wanted to try without attempting at all to invite an audience into it it's just really alienating and dull I wish right. almost well, I yeah. I no I was just going to say I like I wish there was a world where like Soderbergh produced this but somebody else directed it or like Well, and I also think look, I I think Clo- speaking to Clooney, sure. I think he's not the right. I mean, look. Clooney Clooney is Cary Grant, he's not Humphrey Bogart, and I think you, you run into that problem in The Good German. And I kind of forgot about that. Like I love Intolerable Cruelty. Um, it's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. I know that's like uh, not a common opinion or whatever, but one of the reasons I love it is because I think when you talk about him being Cary Grant, that's the closest you get, mm. and that there's an old-fashioned quality to to Intolerable Cruelty with a modern bent that I think works really perfectly well. Frankly, um, I'm, I'm a very big fan of that movie. This is like the opposite of that. This is, you know. Clooney is not Bogart. Bogart was a rough guy, right? He was rough around the edges. He didn't seem like he should have been an actor. Nicholson is Jay Giddies. It's more like Bogart. It's more like rough, nasty, kind of, you know, disheveled, right? Like you're Robert Ryan's, right? Yeah, yeah. You need someone a little more... Like Clooney's not Clooney's never gonna be that, and he well, and like to, to Rob to your point, he never has been in a way that's, I guess, the perfect storm in a very Hollywood way is like your version of that. But even that, that's him playing acting, and that's fine for that movie. But like, I think that's a problem with this movie, and even Kate Blanchett, who's who's the greatest, it feels like she's. She, it's weird because they're all great and they're all in their prime, but they feel like in, they're in the wrong roles. And even with like Tobey Maguire, Oof. It, it's it's a crazy performance. Yeah. But like in a way, him dying is like a shame because 
he's so crazy that he, you're like yeah. he's the only thing to really kind of latch on <clears throat> no, to. No, there the is beginning. there is a little bit and of then, I, I think that's a fair point. There is like a little bit of like a air getting sucked out of the room a little bit when he's like not in the movie but it is yeah. it's not good air right no, like it's not it's and not i and air. i think yeah. like i kept air. thinking i kept thinking too like who i just there's there are a couple other actors that i was just like oh like it it shouldn't be you there's and i don't like look i don't have any real love for toby Maguire. there are things that i've seen him in that i do like him in so i think he's you know i think when utilized properly he's got it as an actor I mean, um, Molly, he's great in Molly's game. Like, do you know what this role needed? This, the better version of this role is Matt Damon in The Departed, where it's a, someone who is ostensibly likable, at, or at least at, at once likable when you see him, but then as through his actions, through things that he does, you're like, oh, this guy's a gigantic piece of shit. One, now granted, I do think, you know, maybe personal life aside or whatever. I do think obviously Toby Maguire can lean into that a little bit. And maybe that's what makes this role kind of interesting for him. But it, it's almost, it is weirdly, I would counter slightly. It is kind of a relief when he dies. Spoiler yeah, alert, I guess. I it's, mean, it's, it's, it's not really a spoiler because it's, it comes so early in the it's movie. Like 20 it's, minutes part, yeah. it's part of the plot, I yeah. suppose. But, but it is one of those things where you're like, yeah, thank God. Like, I just, I don't know if I could have, but I do wish that it was someone that was a little bit more keyed in. He just, he feels outside the past, uh, the pastiche of the movie as opposed to a part of it. And I think kind of all of them do, which is again, I think part of the problem with like Clooney slotted into the Bogart thing when maybe someone like, and this isn't, I'm not, this isn't a direct swap like this might not have been any better but like maybe someone like brad pitt might have been like a little bit better or um or you know i think blanchett maybe is the only one that comes close to like really feeling like she belongs in the movie what do you rob what do you think do you think clooney's doing good work here or what's your thought uh i don't really know that he's even really given the room to to do good work right. in this right. I, I think blanche i think it's blanchett's movie i think she's by far the the, the best thing in it and and sure, dominates sure. it i think at the time i was i was upset that she, there wasn't awards traction for her but for her in it yeah but i guess you're right she had just won the oscar you know so you give, give her a year off but um yeah i'm trying to think as you were talking connor like who would have been who's kind of a bogarty guy and he it, it's a good example that actor kind of doesn't really that like rough and tumble you know, like Nick Nolte sure. younger would have been good. And right, he kind like, of did like Nick Nolte kind of did that. Like if you've seen He'll Stop the Rain or Under Fire, right? Those movies, those are kind of Casablanca E wartime movies, you know, Year of Living Dangerously esque type of, of movies. Right. Like and, do you cast Nick it? Nolte's do you just cast it older? Right? Like do you yeah. cast it? Do you cast it older? And is it do you need like I mean, he would have been this was oh six, right? So he still would have been maybe too old at the time, but like Harrison Ford or yeah, Ford, Ford kind of, I mean like Ford, even as a younger man, Hanover streets kind of like that. If you guys have seen that movie, the world war two, like, like, I don't know. I mean, he, there's versions. Yeah. I mean, Ford, obviously, I mean, Ford had turned down Soderbergh only f six years before the traffic, right, was supposed to right. play the Michael Douglas role. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know much if there's much more to say about the movie. Yeah, it, it kind of doesn't mi- make much of a blip at all. You know, we mentioned the score is memorable, the aesthetics, right? The cinematography. You got an Oscar degree. nomination, right? The the score. Oh, did it? I, I maybe I, I made that it, up. I'm looking it up right now, but I it might have. But but um, that's Thomas Newman, who's my my personal favorite composer currently working. Um, but but um, yeah, it just kind of doesn't do much. And even like speaking of the two good movies from 06, like I think The Good Shepherd has gotten a bit of a reappraisal with whatever cinephile type of people and The Good German. And look, I'll tell you this, rewatching it for this podcast, I kind of went into The Good German being like, oh, you know what? I'm going to love it. I'm ready. Sure. I'm ready to I'm ready to rediscover this movie. And then 30 minutes in, I was like, oh, yeah, no. Speaking of good movie is a good year also 2006. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. was it i think it was, think it was. we haven't wow. done it we haven't done a crow b-side yet but when yes. we, but when yes, we do, but when yes. we do we will a thousand percent cover a good year um <laughs> a, Rid, a ridley or ridley scott b-side where it was it was literally ridley scott's friend wrote a book about his wine vineyard <laughs> and ridley scott said to his other friend russell crow hey they're going to give me money. Do you want to go to this place and just drink and make a movie? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's, sure. That's, Actually, no, sorry to not to, so we're not complete tangent, but to bring it back, I feel like someone like Russell Crowe might've been more at home Crow. in, Crow's the, a good in, one. in like a, as a Bogart surrogate. Yeah. Crow's, um, a, Crow's, a, Crow's a good idea. And also Rob, you're right. Thomas Newman did get nominated for the good German score. That's a, that's a great score. Deservedly. Um, yeah. Deservedly. Um, all right. So, Let's go to um, Leatherheads, 08. So now this is his- Third movie. Third directed movie. Yeah. Yeah. He does Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, written by Charlie Kaufman, but then obviously heavily rewritten by George Clooney and then made into a good little movie, right? Sam oh, Rockwell I love that movie. Vehicle. I love yeah. that movie. Kaufman say, hates it, You right? love that movie? Yeah, I love Confessions yeah. of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, I like that movie a lot yeah. as well. And I love Good yeah. Night, Good Luck. Yeah, Good Night, Good Luck. Obviously, does anybody not like that movie? I feel like that's just that that movie just works. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I it's just one of those movies, kind of a little miracle of a movie, you know, like just doesn't overextend. Is kind Strathairn of for did what not it's about, win, it's, right? He got nominated no, that year. Right? He, he got nominated. Yeah, that's the, that is the same year that he won his acting Oscar, right? Those movies were the same Cl- year. Clooney won for Syriana. right? Yes, but th- those movies were the same year, right? They were the same year. And I remember, I always remember when he won for supporting actor, he came up and he was like, well, I guess I'm not winning best director, which I always thought was kind of a great moment. Um, but Strathairn was nominated, but did not win, Connor, no. Huh. Um, and then Leatherheads kind of feels blank checky, right? Because it's like... I, I think it's it's a fun enough movie. But yeah, no, I, I think Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and Good Night and Good Luck are both very the ambitious, assured, genuinely interesting films, very different from each other. And this right. is sort of a, almost it's like parlaying the success of those two. Well, I guess Confessions of a Dangerous Mind was not successful, but it was well-received. Yeah, um, well, yeah. And this yeah. parlaying that into sort of a swing at more conventional studio filmmaking. Um, and it's not right. quite as successful uh, as, as those movies. I, I, I think... You know, I think it did okay. It made like thirty million dollars, but yeah. I don't know that anyone who saw this movie in two thousand eight, if you ask them now, like remembers that they saw right. it. 
Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I saw this in theaters. Um I would have been in college. I think I saw it. Um I think I liked it fine. I mean, this was I was saying to Connor before uh over uh, earlier this week and I was saying this is the moment. This is the John Krasinski moment before the current the the current John Krasinski moment where it was like, "Oh, John Krasinski licensed to wed Leatherheads. Maybe he's our guy." And then it was kind of quickly like, "No, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not." And then now it's like ten years later. It's like, "Hey, maybe this is our guy." It's kind of funny how how uh, how the world works. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Rob. It's like a fun third movie. It's um him basically doing right connor you were mentioning we were talking about claudette colbert and car gable yeah it's him doing a version of like uh it happened one night kind of it's like him making that kind of a movie. my the thing i said to you uh connor about this though is i do think though i do enjoy leatherheads and re-watching it i kind of was like oh yeah this is fun i do think it's an indicator of what will become maybe one of clooney's problems as a director which is he's packing way too much in where like in leatherheads you have basically a fun farcical slapstick comedy about the advent of the national football league and then a lot of other stuff right like yellow journalism you know wartime legends um like Americana on display, all these different things. And it's, they're all kind of on the fringes. It doesn't really affect the narrative as a whole. But then when you run into the Suburbicons and the, you know, the, the later movies and even catch 22, his, his show on Hulu, that, that over ambition, I would say to some degree does reveal itself a little bit more where you kind of go like, he does a lot. He tries to do a lot. And I, and I and it's as a director at least, and I think it's funny to watch Leatherheads after those two focused first movies, and kind of be like, oh yeah, you can see he's like starting to over maybe overextend himself. But yeah, I think he as an actor, I think he's really funny in it. I think it's a, a funny comedic performance. Um, maybe not to the level of the Coen Brothers films, like we said, but and then like that thing of like Renee Zellweger is like perfect in it. I think like she really could do these types of roles in a way that no other actress during that time could, right? Like that kind of, I don't know what you'd even call it. Like the old fashioned, like spunky. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, yeah, it's a, she reminded me a little bit of like, like Virginia Mayo or, um, like Irene Dunn a little bit. Like, it's like that type of kind of. Sure. Sure. Like she, I, it's, I'm trying to, it's not even the comparison to a person, but it is, I I agree with you because I feel like, um, it's a, she does put on this kind of an old Hollywood, uh, leading lady that kind of is able to sort of put her foot down and kind of, a a his girl Friday kind of way. Um, and without it feeling too put on, right? Like I'm trying to think of a, a, a good comparison, like, and this actually, this is a performance I like as well, but it is a, it is more put on, but like you look at this compared to say, um, compared to say like the supporting turn by Scarlett Johansson in Hail Caesar. Right. And it's, and it's very much, that is very much a like put on, you know, border. Or, or I was going to say Jennifer Jason Lee in the Hutsucker Proxy, oh, which yeah. is, I, I love, but it's very right. like, it's a, it's a different thing and it's, and it's, it's meant to do it. It's meant to do big a different swing, thing, yeah. like, and it's and it's fun because it is the big swing, and I think it 
her not doing that here, I think is beneficial to the movie. I did not like this movie when I saw it really kind of at all. I just sort of like, I didn't hate it. It just kind of was like, it was like, yeah, sure. That is what it is. Um, but I will say rewatching it, it was a bit of a tonic for me. Like I, th- that angle of the movie, the, it happened one night, uh, will they, won't they back and forth with the two of them, I think is really effective. And I think it's pretty well done. Um, and to your point, Dan, I think when you get into even the, um, even the backstory of the fictionalized or, or embellished war story. Right. I think that still keeps the movie Like the movie still stays on the rails with that because it's the, it is the conflict, right? Like it is the thing at the heart of what she's doing in the movie. Um, and, and what, uh, what's at stake for Clooney in the movie. Basically, we didn't really talk about the plot too much, but to do it quickly, uh, basically, George Clooney is a football player named Dodge Conley and football. He plays for the Duluth Bulldogs and football hasn't really kind of come into its own as, as a full American pastime as of yet. It hasn't really been legitimate legitimized and is basically seemingly on the verge of extinction. Oh no. Oh no. Can you imagine? (laughs) Could you imagine if there was no football? Oh no. The the distinction is college football is well regarded. Sure, yes. And and that in real life that is true. Yeah. But pro football is a joke. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's about to go away and George Clooney concocts a plan to basically woo the hottest college star away from his up his like new job to play like one year with the Duluth Bulldogs and in 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 so saving pro football. And then this larger deal through Jonathan Price gets enacted in the process. Renee Zellweger is a journalist who's hot on the trail of this alleged story about John Krasinski's character uh, being this war hero, also this college football star about that story of him being a war hero being totally false. And so she follows Krasinski as he's with the Duluth Bulldogs Whilst kind of wooing Krasinski, she's also being wooed by Dodge Connolly, George Clooney, and a semi sort of love triangle is enacted while the truth comes out about Car- I believe he's Carter, right? Yeah, yeah I was going to uh, say you're doing the movie a little bit of a disservice by only mentioning Clooney's character name. Because <laughs> well, what right. is, what, his name is Carter. Carter what? Rutherford, and uh, and Zellweger is Lexi Littleton. Oh, yeah, they're all they're, so they're good. all they're, they're all very so they're all right. and like and Jonathan Price's name is like he's the manager. His name is CC, right? Which is like very much yes, like a, yes. I uh, no, that's all great. And I think again, it's it's it it's it is a good rendition of that kind of old Hollywood. A screwball comedy trope where there there is like that extra component of like oh and it's about football right but the i think the problem this movie falls into is that it still kind of tries to be about football as it goes on as opposed to having football just be the table setting right and i, I yeah but it's weird because and i might be wrong about this and rob tell me if you disagree with me like when at the end of the movie, when they play the game, I was like, "Oh yeah, we haven't like watched them play at all." Well, I guess that that's kind of what I'm saying is like they it it's about football to tee it up, right? And then, like you said, there's that deal with Jonathan Price, and they're kind of it needs to be about football, obviously to a degree, because that's what's in it initially, at least for George Clooney, right? Yeah. So I I get that, but what the problem is is that the 
the what would become the main conflict of the movie, which is this love triangle mixed with the outing of John Krasinski as this liar, right, or some kind of a fraud, right, is it, it takes center stage and it's fine and the movie runs with it and that's fine. And then the movie like that situation basically resolves itself. And then there's still like a half hour left that like is going to be about football. And you're kind of like, OK, like all the parties involved with this have basically still landed in the spot that they are in at the end of the movie. So like, why do I need the f- what, like, what, what are we still doing here with the football? And it's not that it's, it because it works in some level. Like the it's, people love football. I, Connor. <laughs> no, yeah. it's just, it is just funny. It's like a, um, and it still works. Like he does a good job as a director in terms of milking, you know, milking the slapstick nature out of it and, and the physical comedy. Um, and that was largely marketed as a football movie, right? Which is strange to me when it should be marketed as a romantic comedy. Right. Um, and it's, and that's the, I think that's the weirdest part. Yeah. That's the weirdest part about it is that it doesn't, I don't know. It it just never, to your point, Dan, I think this movie has one too many balls in the air. It still juggles them fine enough. Like I would, I would recommend this movie. Basically, I think it's, I think it's harmless. I think it's pretty digestible and a and a good time. It's um, fun. Yeah, it is. I, Which, I, yeah, it's Rob, fun. So you you like this movie, Rob? Uh, more or less. Yeah. 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 It's it, you know I again didn't have it, didn't remember much about it from from twelve years ago, but yeah, it's it's a fun, digestible enough watch. I I, I don't know that it's super fully i don't know that it's fully effective as either a rom-com or a football movie sure. um but the the tone throughout is it is fun there's a, like a lot of individual moments and, and performances uh are enjoyable like yeah it would not be a huge recommendation from me but um but yeah good enough and and especially yeah, as you were saying in the in these times it, I, I think it's it's nice to just right. have like a fun the, light the thing <laughs> that really yeah i think the right, thing right, that really right, right. won me over was the the patter right like he i i think clooney uh did he write this movie or were you said no, dan so there was some on. controversy so, so, about who wrote the movie right so well so yes yeah. so clooney basically quietly stepped away from the writers guild because of this movie and so he's still involved to this day with the guild but in a different capacity and basically what happened was um the screenplay is credited to Duncan Brantley and Rick Riley. And I don't know how much you guys follow sports or not, but Rick Riley is a pretty well-known sports writer for many years. He wrote for Sports Illustrated forever and, you know, has just been around for forever and ever. I remember I remember reading his stuff in Sports Illustrated like when I was a kid, right? So he's been around. Um, so I think this is like a script they had for a long time. And then Clooney decided to make it and essentially basically said he rewrote all but two scenes and in litigation for credit, ultimately, and this is a common thing with the guilds and especially the WGA and what have you, they, the WGA ruled, I think, two to one in favor of not giving Clooney a co-writing credit. And I think that kind of caused him to leave on, you know, polite terms with the guild in whatever capacity, you know, like, it's not like he's not in the guild, but it's like a different accreditation or whatever Mm. and that was because of this movie because you know he said like you know he essentially now look Clooney is a big liberal democrat and so his quotes about it are very like 
pro-union where he's like i understand they, that riley and brantley needed the credit but it didn't seem quite fair to me that i also didn't get it. right like he he's not ragging riley and brantley yeah, he, he didn't he wanted them to get credit and yeah, i think first yeah. first build or, or, or however it works but he was like my name should be on there i mean it, this is the thing about guilds that are stupid it's like yeah. you know not to be i'm, I'm as pro-union as they come but it's like you get into that weird litigation where it's like I'm a pretty big component of like original writing being it should be credited probably more because of inception of the idea and all the things that are argued. But yeah, when I also think with the guild, you get into that thing of like Clooney's the director. And I think you that's another thing that happens where it's like, well, OK, they're the director. They can they can say they did all this stuff because they were on set making all the decisions. But did they really? I think that's a common mm. kind of a. Of a, of a sticking point which i guess kind of makes sense but anyway regardless yes he was very involved in writing it of course you know and whatever that means go ahead Rob. and that's how we end up with so many uh awkward uh screenplay award uh winner moments where people are standing <laughs> on stage accepting an award next to people that they like hate or and that they were in like when, litigation against each other can i rob can i tell you can i tell you my favorite and you know we can cut it out if we don't want to mention it sheldon turner was just sprinting gonna... up to the stage yeah. to to make it before jason Wright. speaking of george clooney where yeah, for, we're, for we're up in the air. Jason yeah. Reitman spent three months literally being like, "Well, I wrote it. I wrote it." I mean, yeah, Sheldon Turner he had a draft, yeah, but I wrote, I wrote it. Right? And then like, and then Sheldon Turner like that whole thing, I, or or like the uh, John Ridley, Steve McQueen thing. Um, anyway, uh, that stuff's super interesting. That by the way is but, my favorite Clooney performance. Oh, up in the air. up in the air. That's a fair. I think that's a fair choice. Yeah, I think, or I think it's the definitive performance. I think it's the best utilization of all the things that he does well. I know that's that movie good, has not uh, aged hugely well with a lot of people, but no, I th I like that movie. I that, and I'll tell you something about Up in the Air. That's an example because I feel like people bring this up a lot. That is a movie that I think is better than the book. The Walter Kern book is okay. It's not a bad book, but the movie I think does elevate all the material um, and like takes out stuff that I don't think is necessarily necessary. Uh, as all well. thanks to Sheldon um, Turner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sheldon Turner was the one. No. Um, but, and just really quickly, a good year is on HBO max right now. So if anybody wants to pop that on, <laughs> do, do pop not a bottle of wine. Yeah. Really, really get into the spirit of the things. <laughs> really catch that Freddie Highmore performance. Is Freddie Highmore really just doing the God's work? The, he, he's, 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 the, he's good the good doctor. Back to he's good, good things. He's, yeah. he's sticking. Hey, he's well, not doctor. anymore. It got canceled. So no, yeah, yeah, the, COVID uh, takes it all from us. Can't be that good of a doctor, right? Um, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll see myself. Now, out. last thing is Krasinski in this. Um, I think properly cast, weirdly, but like a good kind of. It's interesting. Yeah, his career has changed. Where it's like he's doing a thing in this movie that he like doesn't do anymore at all like 10 years on right i just think it's funny to watch leatherheads and be like oh wow yeah like he this is him kind of doing that gym bit in a different way and there's nothing wrong with that he's a charming guy but it's funny in like the age of jack ryan to like to go back and watch leatherheads you know what i mean you're just kind of like oh I wow yeah he really kind of like really pivoted away from that like strongly I, which i probably probably for his for for his betterment of his career yeah, i think he needed a channel because i think even though clooney and and it's the reason that clooney and zellweger are so good in this movie together like i said like they're they're you know 
they're laying something on, but it's not too thick. And it's, and it's, you know, they're not, they're not giving these giant swings of like Gable and Colbert performances. Right. Um, and it's not that Krasinski is doing that either. It's just that I think he's just, whatever it is that they're laying on and you can straight up even just call that maybe just movie star charisma. I like, you know, um, he, I, I don't think is quite as much. And I think it, he might not have been quite in the pocket at the time to do this, but I was watching this and I kept thinking that I wanted it to be Ryan Gosling. Um, because I think he just sells, he just sells that sort of physical, uh, screwball energy a little bit better than somebody like John Krasinski does. Um, I would argue he sells a little bit too much of that energy in the next movie. That Clooney directs in in Ides of March. Yeah, yeah I think right. Gosling, who I like, is doing a lot in Ides of March, which maybe would be better placed in a Leatherheads or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, like there's a lot of there's a lot happening in that performance in Ides of March, uh, for better or worse. Um, yeah, that's a good. That's interesting though. Yeah, Gosling definitely has that like nice guys ability. No, right. right. That for, I think that's like what I'm thinking. Yeah, like something like nice guys uh, or even. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you could t- take your pick. He's done it. He's he's done it a couple times, and he's good at it. I I think that's kind of love. Yeah, no, right. That would be another yeah. one. La La Land. He had, you know, he has that. And again, I think it comes down to speaking of the screenplay again, but like it comes down to that patter, right? And like like the meet cute between Clooney and Zellweger is really nice. It's got it's got like a little bit of a back and forth that you want to see in a movie like this for a meet cute. And don't think just because you haven't said anything that I don't know what you're up to. I'm talking to you, behind the magazine. I don't you know I could have you arrested for eavesdropping? Excuse me? Or are you really an avid reader of Ladies Home Journal? I never miss an issue. I see. Waiting for someone? I'm sorry, were you speaking to me? No, just practicing my American accent. Of course, As I was. As a matter of fact, I was waiting for someone. Who? A business associate. Oh, a business associate. So cryptic, so manly, clearly beyond the comprehension of a feeble female. If you say so. What I want to know is why you chose to come in here from the lobby, where you obviously had business, to sit next to me and listen to my conversation. Tell me, or are you afraid to say? I'm not afraid to say it. I'm in love with Leonard. (laughs) Go ahead and laugh, everyone does. We had something beautiful until you came along. You think you could just toss him away like a sack of flour? Hey. Hey, haven't you done enough? No, really. Who are you? What's your name? I'm Dodge. Dodge Connolly of Duluth, Minnesota. Lexi Littleton, Champaign, Illinois. Hey, Lexi. What are you doing for dinner? You're a lot of fun, Mr. Connolly. And I'm sorry I'm not going to get to know you better, but you should leave before my fiancé gets here. He's kind of big. I can handle myself. No, really, Mr. Connolly. Mr. Connolly is buried next to my mother. I'm Dodge. Dodge, it'd be better if you go. Better for whom? Um, and Krasinski's given opportunities, I think. Like it's not that it's it's not that the character's particularly underwritten in that regard. I just don't think he necessarily measures up quite as much, which is sort of a bummer. All right, so the American. Yeah, now we're getting to it. Yeah. Now, Rob. I'm going to let you tell us what the American's about because it's really, it's the simplest plot in the world. So <laughs> you you tell us what the American's about. Uh, Clooney plays Jack, who's in 
assassin and gun maker. Um, uh, the, the opening scene of the movie is like a really striking sequence where he's in a cabin in the snow with a beautiful young woman. They're startled by a sniper. He pulls out a gun, shoots the sniper and kills the woman he's with. Love it. Love uh, that scene. It all happens very scene. fast, but he's kind of haunted by killing her for the rest of the movie. Really? Um, he goes alone to hide out in a small town in Italy in the mountains. Yeah. yeah somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Of the country. Yeah. His boss connects him with another beautiful young woman uh, who's also an assassin and he's tasked with building a gun for her with particular specifications he starts a relationship with a beautiful young woman a prostitute named uh, clara um i think so yeah and develops a sort of friendship with a local priest there's a lot of silences a lot of <laughs> enigmatic conversations uh themes of butterflies um the butterflies of course that's right and uh, not a whole lot of quote unquote action. Uh, that that's that's about it, right? Yeah. yeah no, that's that's, that's, that's that, perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, this is another favorite of mine. So I'll, I'll just be honest up front. I love this movie. It's obviously in the vein of the samurai, right, mm -hmm. or something of that ilk. Um, kind of a little bit the good thief, you know, Bob Lafleur, right? Like, there's a little bit of that as well. Um. Um. This might be my favorite Clooney performance. Oh, wow. If if we had to rank, like, so Up in the Air being, Rob, you're saying Up in the Air is kind of all of his tools together. One, I think that's totally well said. I think that might be, I mean, that might be number two for me, honestly. But I think if I'm honest, whatever he's doing in The American is the thing I like the most. Like, and it's obviously not a whole lot. It's like you said, a lot of silences, but... I am truly transfixed by this movie. To me, it's like even the opening. So the opening scene happens arresting. And then there's the credits are over him driving and he goes through a tunnel and it's punctuated. It's a yellow tunnel punctuated by blues or, or vice versa. And every time I drive through a tunnel, I think about that scene. Like it's one of those movies. Well, where and like there's also those... the there's the the beautiful nature of the shot because it's a very long take is that there's the tiny white circle at the end. Right of right. the other end of the tunnel, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it kind right, of washes. I don't know why it always thing. reminds me of the um the the title sequence of uh Jackie Brown for some reason. Oh well, but it's a similar the law. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's um a rhythmic. Yeah. Right. The the, the rhythm I think is is similar. Oh, right. uh, I love that's an amazing opening. I forgot about that. Oh, Jackie Brown's the best. Um. Okay. So. Yeah, those are my my quick thoughts is that I absolutely love it. So I don't want to, you know, Connor, I, I feel like you agree with me, Con. Yeah, this movie fucking rules. I literally just finished rewatching it and I, I own it, but I haven't actually rewatched it maybe, you know, I, I don't know, maybe in like seven years. Like it's been it's been a while since I've watched it. And I was I was actually sort of interested to see how I felt about it uh, on rewatch. And it, I, I, I love it. Connor, since we're talking about what's your favorite, what do you think your favorite Clooney is? Um, I do, I do love me some Michael Clayton. Sure. Um, I do love Michael Clayton. I would, this would probably be like top three for me. I would probably say it, for me, favorite Clooney performances would be, would be out of sight and then Michael Clayton, and then probably this, and then you know probably maybe a Cohen after that, one of the Cohens uh, probably. Now what's 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 now? So he's made the f four Cohen movies, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. What what is 
I guess my favorite is Intolerable Cruelty, though. I do like them all. Do, what about you guys? Is there one that like, sticks out for you of the four? Movie or performance? Uh, performance, let's say. Hmm. I do love him in Burn After Reading. I think he's, I think he's really fucking funny in Burn After Reading. Um, I go back and forth on that movie as a whole, but I do think the, the performances in that movie are what make it worth it, and his is, uh, his is particularly What do we learn, great. Palmer? Yeah, that bit is great. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I like I like that movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you do you have a favorite Cohen Clooney performance? I I think it is Burn After Reading. Yeah, um, it's I love it is such him. a funny. I yeah. love him in Intolerable Cruelty and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, Burn After Reading I feel like does not get enough credit. I, I think he's the best performance in that movie. Actually. I think people have pro- yeah, properly. That, I, think, yeah. I think people have kind of properly reappraised that a movie. Of, right. A lot of people. A lot of people don't like that movie. The, the movie but I think has, has a master reputation, but yeah, but I don't yeah, know if yeah. people talk about much about his performance as much as I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right about that. I think I think I guess uh, I guess not surprisingly the Brad Pitt of it all sure. gets mentioned because it's such a like Brad you know that I mean look so Brad Pitt typing, yeah. Brad Pitt saying to Malkovich that you think that's a Schwinn, Schwinn is, yeah, yeah I do think is one of my favorite parts of the movie there there are line there are whole line readings from the movie in in general that like just get stuck in my brain like Clooney. Clooney has that one bit where he's at the party and he's talking to John Malkovich and he has like, he's like, uh, oh, what is, oh, he's like, I got lactose reflux. And he goes, well, you either are lactose intolerant or you have acid reflux. They're not the same thing. <laughs> and it's just like these little, uh, and it, I don't know, the way it, it's the type of stuff. And you mentioned, Rob, like how up in the air is kind of this great culmination of all the things he does. Well, I, for me, that's out of sight, which I think why, why it's my favorite, because something like the comedy of Burn After Reading, you can see as a nugget in out of sight when he's like when he's trying when he's talking about network right yeah. and he's like i was thinking of that when you were talking about it yeah, earlier he's like I'm, I'm mad as hell i'm not gonna take your shit take right? your well shit. you know what yeah you know what you know what actually is one of the i recently i've watched out of sight 40 million times one of my favorite moments in out of sight is at the end of the movie when white boy bob has him like he has the drop on uh, yeah, on, yeah. on foley and it cuts to Clooney and Clooney gives a reaction like he's so mad that he's going to die at the hands of white boy Bob. Like in his reaction, it's like great acting, like where it's like everything in one moment, no line. And then of course, white boy Bob does what he does, what he does. But like that, that's your point, Connor. Yeah. That's like an indicator of you get a million things like that and up in the air as well. Yep. Uh, that is sad and funny. Like I love, I love the whole scene when when Clooney c- gets back to his house in Omaha and he like asks that neighbor out on a date and she's like, oh, I'm like engaged now or whatever. you know, and he, right. and he's like kind of sad about it, but he's not sad. He doesn't really care. Like, yeah, navigating those emotions. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. He's okay. He's a good actor. You and know, it's, that's, and why, it's, he's, well, that's and, why he's on the A list. And, you know? and to bring it back to the American, there is. It's that vulnerability, that detached but vulnerable thing that he's doing in Solaris that comes back here. Yeah. And it's and it is the it is the conflict of the movie, right? Like that, like if you know, obviously, Rob, you laid out kind of the bare bones plot of this movie, but if I were to tell somebody what the movie is about, it's like, oh, it's an assassin who is like literally struggling with like 
you know, late in life, whether or not he can like actually form attachments to people. Right. And like, and, and, and whether or not a he's, if he's able to do that and B if he like, if it's too late. Right. And, and that's, that's the movie. Right. And there are a couple scenes in this movie that really kind of bring that up and are, are like surprisingly sweet. As you mentioned, um, he develops this relationship with this woman, Clara, who is a, a prostitute that he basically uh, exclusively sees, right? He doesn't see anybody else when he goes there um, and develops a relationship with her. And there's this wonderful scene where she runs into him essentially outside of work, as it were, uh, at a cafe with a friend. And essentially they they set up a date and they sort of talk in code for a second. And it's like, Oh, at the usual place. And then he sort of kind of couches it and he's like, yeah, I guess so. And then she's like, Oh, well, so where is our usual place? Right. Trying to kind of get him to make a decision. And then he says, let's go somewhere new. How are you? Good. This is my friend, Anna. Hi. DJ Anna. Want to join me for some coffee? We're going to see an American movie. Anna's learning English. Um, I would love to go to America. Mm. But perhaps we can see each other soon. On Wednesday, I'm free. Okay, I'll be there. Where? Our usual place. Our usual place. I forgot. <laughs> Where is our usual place? Oh. Let's go someplace new. You can decide. La canna grappelli? Great. La canna grappelli, good food. Mm -hmm. Grappelli? See you there? I'll see you there. And then like her face lights up and they're both like, and it's like this movie has little nuggets like that tucked in, uh, outside of his detached kind of cold performance. Um, and I don't, I'd be hard pressed to think of many other, I I'm sure there are other actors who can obviously do it. I'll say this. I'd be hard pressed to think of any other, many other movie stars that can, that can give that kind of a performance. I mean, I think this and, and Solaris are, are both movies where he's sort of making this rarefied art movie under like a studio banner that like yeah. marketing more or less like completely misrepresents and the audience responds with like fury but he's yeah. he's doing like very similar things performance wise um like you're talking about it's like it's very internal and ultimately like very moving i think in in, in both both of these movies yeah i mean both movies there's a purgatorial aspect to the settings sure. of both movies that are very effective in as much as like these are like last chance like last exit to heaven or hell moments for both of these characters whilst they know deep down in places they won't don't talk about a parties that it's not a last chance at all that their fate has already been sealed right like and there's a beauty in and look, the endings are similar without it. We don't have to give it away, but the endings are similar in their kind of inevitabilities. And I think, I mean, the locations in this movie are, I mean, some of the most beautiful, like they feel like it, 
places that shouldn't exist, right? Like it's, it's almost it like this me... movie was directed by a really great photographer. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's funny because, like, you know, me and my my wife, we uh, were lucky enough to go to Italy for our honeymoon, and we went to Ravello, which if on the Amalfi Coast, Ravello is 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 in it's like off the coast like but it's like close so it's like 30 minutes in inland and like people in um you know uh positano told us like oh go there it's different like you'll like it so we took a day trip and like it's this amazing town that feels like it would it, it was like it's lost to time and you know it's like there's still touristy things of course but you like go to a cafe and it's quiet and you like, you feel like what must have this been like, you, you know, you want more than one day. And I feel like all of the American, you have those moments. And I think like, you know, the town priest with his own sins and secrets and da, 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 da. Like, and then, and also just other like idiosyncrasies, like I'm no good with machines is a line he says many times, George Clooney. But then of course, that's not true because he's a gunmaker and he's obviously a very uh, uh, talented mechanic in his own right. I could right. watch George Clooney make a gun for like two hours. Right. That's right. So, no, like that. And you and basically this, this, did. Yeah. Well, right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No. And it's, it's one of those things that like, I, I kind of forgot actually about that part of this movie. Like I, and I'm not alone here. I feel like a lot of people like this type of stuff when it comes up in movies where like the, the trade craft of it all. Right. And, and, and I mean, that's the stuff that's interesting about whether it's like a spy movie or a crime movie or whatever. Um, the, the thing of him, you know, he goes to see the mechanic and is just sort of picking apart these pieces of metal and you know what he's doing, but you don't like know what he's going to do with it. And then you like see it and you're like, Oh, that's really fucking cool. Like, I, I don't know. Like I just watching him really sort of, I enjoy any movie that shows me someone who's who's like good at their job to a degree. Um, and that part of this, I thought, was really fascinating. And I think I enjoyed the I, I think you have to be a really specific kind of viewer to enjoy the not unlike with Solaris, but to enjoy the patience of this movie and the solitude of this movie. And if you hate it, it's I do. I honestly couldn't necessarily blame you. Like, unless, you know, unless you're coming for barefoot George Clooney with a gun on a Vespa, right? If that's the thing you're showing up for, this movie has that. So that's there for you. But, um, but yeah, no, I, all that stuff I thought was really, really great. And the, um, the way he kind of walks his way through this movie, this, I think this movie has the really dangerous potential and maybe it does to some people, but to come across as, Hey, I'm just going to fucking hang out in Italy. Anton, you want to come just shoot me in Italy for, you know, two weeks or whatever. And, and well, it, he already, it, I mean, I guess he already did that though. Right. Like oceans 12 is the ultimate. Is that right? And I, I, yeah. And I love oceans 12, but oceans 12 is the ultimate. That's what people hated about it, right? right. Like people, you know, at the time, right? People were like, "Oh, you, you were just gonna pay. We're gonna pay to watch you hang out at Lake Cuomo with your friends, right?" Where it's like, you know, I think obviously, I mean, that's what I thought when I first saw that movie, Ocean's Twelve. That's yeah. that's what I thought. I, I I felt that way, and then in the years since, I felt kind of dumb ever thinking that. I feel I like I quote kind of that one great. more than I do the other two Ocean's movies. Oh sure, Ocean's Twelve. They're all great. What do you think, Rob? They're, they're, no, they're, yeah, it's a remarkably I, I, consistent series, but I, yeah. I think 12 you know is the best funny? of the three. I, 
I was like denigrating 13 recently to somebody and then it was on TNT or something and me and Kelly watched it and I was like, no, this is good. I was like, they're all good. They're all good movies. Like you really do forget. Yeah. It's a very solid trilogy. Uh, yeah. Remarkably. So you're right. Um, but how old, how old do I look to you? Uh, 48, 52. Um, now here's my question how would we rank these four right so rob give me your four to one of these four what do you what do you think? uh meaning start with the bottom yeah least to best uh yeah i think it's pretty indisputable <laughs> uh <laughs> the, good, the good the good german uh is, is at the bottom of the four sure uh one notch up is leatherheads uh above that is the american and i think solaris is the best of the bunch yeah now let me look i because i have I have this like ridiculously long favorite films list on my letterbox. So I'm actually going to Solaris and the American are both on it. So I'm going to Connor, you, you rank, I'm going to see where they land on my list to make sure I'm not getting it wrong. I, yeah, I would, I would maybe go back and forth in like a dead heat tie between the American and Solaris. But I think that's basically correct. Like I, like I said, I would pretty much, at least on some level or another, to a certain kind of person, I would recommend all these movies. Like I, like you said, Dan, I went in rewatching Good German, kind of being like, no, you know what, I'm going to like it this time. And then I did for like a minute and then kind of didn't and then did again and then didn't. So I, I think there are things in it. And, and again, if you if you want to enjoy that on a maybe a, a, a more superficial level. Um, it still has those charms. And then again, Leatherheads, I think it's the same thing. It's kind of that, that chemistry that's on display there, uh, is really nice. Um, but, uh, um, but the other two are really the ones that I would, I would wholeheartedly recommend and are well worth, uh, anybody's time. So I looked it up and yeah, I, the Rob ranking per my letterbox is the one that I would have. So, yeah, four four good German, the three Leatherheads, two the American, and uh, one would be Solaris. And fun fact: in my favorite films list, in my top fifty favorite films ever, I have two Natasha McElhon movies because I have the Truman Show <laughs> and and, and Fear dot com exactly. Obviously, and then obviously. and then fifty one fifty one is Solaris. No. <laughs> um, what's funny is if Fear dot com was in there. I would have two Steven Dorff movies in my top 50 because somewhere is in my top 50. So I just got to add fear.com and I'm covered right. on both. I was ideas. expecting Cecil B. Demented. Yeah. I was going to say Blade. <laughs> oh, that's a good movie. I like, I like Cecil B. Demented. Oh. Um, but um, yeah, so I, this is one of those, I like when we do the B side, when we do, when we have B sides where d- there's a lot of love for a couple of them because it is rare. I and mean, we've talked about it before. B-sides don't mean they have to be bad. Not at all. Like Solaris is a great example of B-side. People forget about it, right? Same thing with the American. But like, you know, other ones that we didn't talk about, I mentioned the Men Who Stare at Goats, Monuments Men, which he directed. It's a flawed kind of, you know, too earnest for its own good World War II comedy where when you read about it, like that what ended up being the problem with that movie i guess amongst other things is like they struggle with tone i think it was more funny and then in test screenings the it's almost like the 1941 problem it's like you can't really make fun of world war ii so it's like 
they had to almost make it more earnest. And interesting thing about that movie, I didn't realize Nick Clooney, George Clooney's dad, plays old George Clooney at the end of The Monuments Men, which I thought was kind of interesting. I, I did not realize he that does. He looks he does look so much like his dad. Quick shout out. I will say if you haven't listener seen the George Clooney episode of the My Next Guest with David Letterman on Netflix. Uh, It's a very good 50 minutes. It's a very good. Him him talking about Casamigos will make you more jealous than anybody. Where he's just like, look, we wanted to make a tequila. And I made a a billion dollars off of it. Are you really? That's amazing. Rob Rob is holding up a bottle of Casamigos. It's been, uh, had one next to my bed for the last six, seven months. That's fantastic. uh, uh, Rob, do you like, do you like Casamigos? I do. I'm a a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had it. I, I, I'm not a huge tequila guy, but I do, I do like Casamigos. But I just love him telling the story of of making it. It's like the funny. It's like me and Randy Gerber. We just were like, hey, let's make this thing, and then we sold it for a bazillion dollars. Um, and then I do like his scenes in Welcome to Collinwood, actually, which yeah. is another one that's kind of a funny movie. The Russo brothers made it, which you now know from the biggest movies in the world, um, and. Yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, Ides of March, I guess, isn't a B-side, but that's kind of an interesting curio. It's half of a good movie in a way. Yeah, I like and, I uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is fucking great yeah, in that movie. Yeah, Giamatti as well. Yeah. Um, he got a screenplay so, nomination yeah. for that movie, right? I believe yeah. he did, which is something that happened. Um, <laughs> and Suburbicon, I've talked about on the show. It's not 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 a strong picture. Um now, you know, there's a bunch more. Money Monster would be one. We talked about Yeah, doing, we almost did it, yeah. You know, he produced it. Jodie Foster directed it, right? Um, you know, he's playing like a... Kind of like a Jim Cramer, right? If like if Jim Cramer got taken hostage and his his producer was Julia Roberts kind of thing. Um, uh, any final thoughts on Clooney? So he's got The Midnight Sky coming out. His which, first, first movie in four years. First movie in four years. Yeah, he kind of stopped after Tomorrowland, uh, basically. I mean, his last. I mean, the only things in the last four years he did. He did Catch Twenty Two, which you you talked about, which which yeah. I liked. And uh, yeah, I I feel like that thing. was like a. I, no, I didn't. I didn't really watch it, but I weirdly feel like it was like a pretty good show that nobody watched. Yeah, I. So I love that book. It's like one of my favorite books ever. And and. I'm, I think I'm just cons- resigned to the fact that adapting that book is just really hard. And I think a lot of the show is very interesting. And then I think like 30% of it, I just had a really hard time with. And I think that's runs into this thing is when you get into George Clooney as creator, I think a lot of times he's really reaching for he's reach is his reach is exceeding his grasp. A lot of the time, I think now the midnight sky I'm excited about. It's a, you know, Netflix, it'll be out this year. It's a genre picture, which I would hope kind of maybe contains him in a way that makes it pretty exciting. Obviously, it's a great cast, so that'll be one to look forward to. That's months away. Um, And I think in general, we kind of always do like what we'd want to see them do. I do want to see him continue to like direct and make things. I mean, I want, you know, he seems to be less and less inclined to act, which I think is okay. I mean, I think is as long as he's get being able to get he like he's one of these rare people. Rob, you kind of said this before. How many people can get the American made at all, right? right. Like the fact that he's able yeah. to get anything in that realm made, as long as he can continue to do that, like 
and not and not just immediately you know play batman again because he has to or something like i'll be happy with it honestly i mean that's it's a, it's a low bar but like this is this is where we're at you know what i mean like that's kind of how i feel about it i'm like just keep making stuff that's semi-original george please you know i would like to see uh i agree i think the if he you know performance wise I would love to continue to see uh, Soderbergh collaborations. I do think, uh, you know, wh- whether it's, you know, whether you get the good German out of it or whether you get Solaris out of it or an Oceans movie out of it, right? You know, the varying degrees of su- success there. But I do think it is one of the better actor-director pairings that maybe we've ever seen. Um, at least movie star auteur pairings, I'll, I'll say. Um, and I, I would love to see that continue to be a thing in some capacity. Oh, I'd love to see him work with David O. Russell again. <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine? Oh man. Oh, I mean, look, O. Russell post what the fighter, right. Or whatever, where he found where he levels out a little, some, a little bit. Yeah. He levels out a little bit, even though to hear Amy Adams tell it, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. But, but, um, but Th- there were rumors that, that Clooney was the one who, who leaked those lily tomlin videos right i have heard yeah i've heard that rumor yeah. i've heard that rumor i mean look clooney 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 is a f- it's funny because clooney is a famous practical joker but he's also a famous like if you fuck with the crew on my set i'm gonna fuck with you guy right which is great you love you love to hear it um so i think that ultimately ended up being the thing when clooney talked about it in the in the years following the three kings of it all he basically said he's like look he was yelling at the grips like don't do that you know that was right. basically Clooney was like yo stop screaming at the union worker you know over there and the background actors a, and stuff yeah yeah, yeah exactly so i think that look he's 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 um he's endeared a lot of love and i think I I I I don't begrudge him any of it. I think he's a great a great kind of actor, and obviously all of his other stuff kind of goes without saying. So, yeah, hopefully the Midnight Sky's good. Um, Rob, where can people find you in the world? Uh, on on Twitter, I guess. Uh, my as you Doing may have m- mentioned, my handle is uh, Clooney Disciple, which I love. Love it. I love, love it. it. Um, and I, it's in, and, and it's, and your, your name is Rob Plainview, which I've known you for like years in the festival world. And it will always like, I'll always have to like split for like a moment. Be like, no, 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 sure, sure. Not right. Not Plainview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, no, apparently, and I have no issue with this. People think it's a, there will be blood, uh, reference. Uh, but it's not, it's just the name of the town I grew up in. Really? Yeah. Oh my God! I of course yeah, I, I thought if I was a betting be man, I would have lost. Yeah. Rob Plainview. <laughs> Where is Plainview in Long Rome? Island, New York? Oh, oh, okay. How do I not know that? Okay, yeah, it's not okay. Pretty nondescript town name. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, Long. I just feel like I, 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 I feel like I, I know every Long Island town, but obviously I do not. So, um, Connor. What about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. Uh, you can find this podcast on Twitter uh, and Facebook at TFSB Side. Uh, please remember if you do if you do like us, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we took a little bit of a hiatus, but we are we are back. We're leaning back into it. Um, Dan, where can people find you? 
I am at DJ Mecca on Twitter, um, writing for the film stage when I can. And yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So please keep listening. We got a couple stories coming up at at Fathom Stories, which I mentioned before on this podcast, me and a bunch of creative friends doing some kind of short, you know, sci-fi, nah, sci-fi, fantasy, Twilight zone stuff. That's been fun. One coming up. If you're listening now, there's probably one up. Uh, you can listen to now called The Man Who Did Not Sleep, which uh, I wrote that our friend Katie Gray did the read for, uh, which is really cool. So yeah, check that out. And um, yeah, at DJ Mecca. Great, great. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. Really, thank you for having really, me. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and thank you out there, listener. Please also do remember, I mentioned rating, reviewing, and subscribing, but also in general, uh, you know, if you're if you're listening stateside, vote please. Uh, we would appreciate it very much if you did that. And um, yeah, you know, consider us crazy for George, because you're gonna have to send us to the Clooney bin. Oh my! God. I knew you were gonna do it.